the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's Friday, December the 25th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. It's Christmas Day. I want to talk to you about a few things that relate to Christmas, the importance of it, and how much God loves each of us. But first, let's look back in history, as we always do, each and every day on this program. Today in 1066, William I was crowned the King of England. Today we're going to be talking about the King of Kings. Today in 1621, the governor of New Plymouth prevents newcomers from playing cards. (laughs) They were sinful in the minds of the people, the leadership at New Plymouth. Today in 1651, the General Court of Boston levied a five-shilling fine on anyone caught observing any such day as Christmas. Not everybody was on board with Christmas, even here in America, in the 1600s. Today in 1776, General George Washington crossed the Delaware. He had 5,400 troops with him during the American Revolution. Washington hoped to surprise the Haitian force celebrating Christmas at their winter quarters in Trenton, New Jersey, and he indeed did do that. They were drunk and lazy. They knew that those American people over there that wanted religious freedom wouldn't attack them on Christmas. They were wrong. President and Mrs. Lincoln today in 1862, they visited hospitals in Washington, D.C. and the area around there. Today in 1914, Much has been written about this. In fact, a couple of books have been written about it. It's often mentioned at this time of the year. It's true. Today, in 1914, on Christmas Day, German and British troops on the Western Front declared an unofficial truce. Not their commanders. In fact, some of the commanders got upset at them because they had done this. They were supposed to be killing one another, but on Christmas Day, they declared an unofficial truce out on the front line. Again, that was... 1914. They didn't have the kinds of equipment that we have today, but such as they had, they stopped killing one another and shooting at one another. And they declared this unofficial truth to celebrate Christmas during World War I. A lot of the guys wrote in their journals or wrote home to their loved ones. They said, yeah, we called out Merry Christmas to each other in German and in English, but we understood. We got the message. And some of them reported that where they were in their trenches on the front line, both the German and the British started singing together in their own language. Silent night, holy night, all is come. Today in 1946, Chiang Kai-shek offered a new Chinese constitution. Today in 1950, Scottish nationalists, they stole the Stone of Scone 
from the British coronation throne in Westminster Abbey. There's a whole story behind that. I, I'm not going to take the time today to talk about it, but it's really interesting. It's a 485-pound stone. It was recovered by April of the same same year, or the next year, 1951. Today, the Bay of Pigs captives, upon their return to the United States, they vowed to return to Cuba and topple Fidel Castro. And today, in 1965, entertainer Chris Noel gave her first performance for the USO at two hospitals in California. Became She became a star of the Armed Forces Radio and Television. Anyone serving during those years remembers that voice. And today, in 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet Union's first and last executive president, resigned. That was the official union, and it no longer existed. Today, on Christmas Day, 1991. Ronald Reagan, with his tenacity and his ability to communicate and his conservative values and Christian values, brought down the Soviet Union without firing a shot. This time of the year, we often hear the Hallelujah Chorus, and when we do, we often associate it with the musical, The Messiah. I love that musical. George Frederick Handel wrote it. He was mainly a composer of operas. In fact, he composed dozens of them. Through his productions, popular in the 18th century in London, Handel had his enemies, though. He was a foreigner. He was born in Germany, so they didn't like him that much in, in England. By many accounts, he wasn't very likable anyway. His fellows detested his style of opera. They said he also was kind of large and he's awkward man. Many wrote that he was rough and hot-tempered, not smooth and refined like they wanted him to be. He would lose his temper. He would get too into the music. In fact, they nicknamed him the Great Bear. When his operas and his health began to fail, Handel sank into bankruptcy and despair. He believed his career was over, and by most accounts it would have been, should have been. In 1741, he was invited to Ireland to direct one of his works at a charity performance. While he was there, Handel said, you know, it's probably over for me, he told himself and a friend. But he said, I think I want to write one more new oratorio. A deeply religious man, he turned away from the human foibles common in the operas and the text that he chose. But the text that he chose for this new this new work was all themes from Scripture. He said, I'm not going to do what I used to do. I'm going to do something completely different. He loved the Lord. He was just a very imperfect, flawed man, much like all of us. It was then that something remarkable happened. He began composing with a superhuman zeal and energy. Some of his friends and some of the people that were around him said they, they were amazed. Some people said he's mad. He's lost his mind. Some of them even said he was under some kind of a mystic spell. One guy that was working kind of as a servant, as a helper, he reported that Handel seldom ate or slept. Once he got into this thing that he was writing, whatever it was, he was working with a frenzy. In fact, he said, this guy said that worked with him, he told others, he said, he's writing so fast that his fingers lose grip of the pen and he drops the pen and he has to pick it up and continue. 
He was, in fact, probably under a divine inspiration. Oh, not like the Bible, not infallible, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit something that God wanted people to hear. The result is one of the world's greatest masterworks. Messiah. The Hallelujah Chorus and all of that. Handel finished part one in only six days. He finished part two in nine days and part three in six days. The orchestration, he was a genius. The orchestration took him only a few more days. In other words, in all, two and a half hours of the world's most magnificent music was composed in less than 25 days. And when he finished, the people with him said he began to sob unrestrained. And finally, when he got control of himself and stopped sobbing, he said, I think that I did see all heaven before me and the great almighty God himself. Immediately from its premiere in Dublin in 1742, the Messiah was pronounced a masterpiece. Messiah recounts the prophecies of Christ, his triumphant birth, utilizing an amazing amount of scripture, including passages like you know them. I mean, we've all heard the Messiah, and the Hallelujah Chorus. For unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And we've heard his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. In fact, the Messiah, the work Messiah, pulls from the Psalms, Job, Isaiah, Lamentations, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, and Revelation. It's all about the Lord, taken from the Word of God. At its London premiere, King George was so moved by the Hallelujah Chorus that he spontaneously rose from his seat, and he stood. The entire audience saw him stand, so they followed his example, and from that date, 279 years ago, audiences have continued to do the same. When the Hallelujah Chorus is presented, people stand. After the success of the Messiah, Handel continued to write religious music. Beethoven said, To him I bend the knee, for Handel was the greatest, ablest composer that ever lived. Even after Handel lost his eyesight, it began to fail. He could see a little bit, but not hardly anything. He continued to perform until at age 74. He was directing, conducting the performance of the Messiah when he collapsed. They quickly took him off stage, put him in bed. He said, I should like to die on Good Friday. He didn't get that wish, but he died on Holy Saturday, April the 14th, 1759. If you visit Handel's grave at Westminster Abbey, it's marked by a statue of him with a score of Messiah opened on the table. The page that's visible is, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Of all the things that he wrote, the one thing that he wanted or those closest to him wanted People to know when they visit, and thousands, millions probably, visit his gravesite. He wanted them to know that I know 
my Redeemer liveth. I think during this Christmas season, that's something that we should and could remember. Keep in the forefront of our minds. Yes, we are celebrating today the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, who became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We must remember that. But let us not forget that our Redeemer liveth today. His work, the truth of God's word, it retains the power to move us. Like King George, our hearts rise every time we hear this. The great triumphal chorus, we sing hallelujah to the King who will reign forever and ever. Never forget that he is your Redeemer if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Asking him to forgive your sins. We have all sinned, come short of the glory of God. But asking him to forgive us of our sins, he becomes our Redeemer because he honors that. Only only Christ can forgive sins because he's paid the price for your sins and for my sins. Gary Randall would be desperately lost, headed for or perhaps in eternity without God. Because all of us are a sinner, myself included. That Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived, he taught, and he died. And he rose from the dead. So that Handel could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that you and I could say that as well. So perhaps we could say that even on this Christmas Christmas Day. Paul Harvey was one of my favorites on the radio for years. I just, I'll tell you, he was something else. Terrific. I think he remained on the radio well into his 90s before he, quote unquote, retired. Every Christmas he told a story. There were several stories. He told the one about the farmer at a certain time during the year. But one of the stories that he told, I don't, I can't even approach his ability to tell the story, but I would like to pass it along to you. Many of you have heard it. If you have, I hope, like me, you'll enjoy hearing it again. If you haven't heard it, you need to. It's touching. It's typically Paul Harvey. But here's the story. He said, The man I'm going to tell you about was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men, but... He just didn't believe in all that incarnation stuff that the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, he said, I'm I'm truly sorry to distress you, but he said, I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he would feel like a hypocrite, that he would much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries. They got heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a kind of a thudding sound. Then another, and another. 
At first he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled outside miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm, and in a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through this large landscape window. That's what they'd been doing when he heard the sound. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures just lie there and freeze, so he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter, and all he would have to do is direct the birds into the shelter. So quickly he put on his coat and his galoshes, and he trampled through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors and wide, and he turned on the light so the birds could see their way to fly in there. But none of the birds would do that. None of them flew into the barn. So he figured that food would entice them. He hurried back to the house. He got some breadcrumbs. He sprinkled them on the snow, making a kind of a trail of breadcrumbs breadcrumbs that led the yellow-lighted wide doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them, but he couldn't catch them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction. Every direction, that is, except into the warm, lighted barn. That's when he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Any move that he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow him. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. He thought to himself, If only I could become a bird and mingle with them and speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, warm, to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to become one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The second reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. He stood there listening to the bells. Auto Ramos de Criste, listening to the bells, pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And then it occurred to him, and he sank to his knees in the snow. I hope that touches you as it does me. I can't hardly read that without a little tear. That is the story of Christmas. As a pastor, I've spoken many times from the book of Isaiah. But let me share some thoughts with you on this Christmas day. And again, thank you for joining me. I know you probably have other things going on today. Hopefully you do, the celebration of Christmas. But those present in the temple did not understand that Jesus was revealing his true identity when he was reading Isaiah's 700-year-old messianic passage. It's an interesting story. It's an important story. It's a story that all of us, need to be familiar with. It's a story that I love to tell, love to talk about, and love you to hear. 
Jesus spoke to them, reading from Messiah. Then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him as he began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's Luke chapter 4, verse 20, 20 and 21. Jesus spoke the truth. Although his hometown audience was amazed at the words, according to Luke, and I'm sure they were, they questioned how Jesus could fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? This isn't somebody like from God. This man is one of us. He grew up in Nazareth. He's Joseph's son. Jesus answered with a fairly human response. He said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Again, Luke 4, Luke recorded this. In verses 25 through 27, Jesus teaches about the time of Elijah. Jesus' point was that when Israel rejected God's messenger of redemption, God sent him to the Gentiles so that he would be again if, if they, so he, he will be again if they refuse to accept Jesus. Then the scripture records the crowd's reaction. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28 through 30, King James Version, the Bible says, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They got angry. They didn't like the word of the Lord. And they rose up, verse 29, they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him out to the brow of a hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They physically removed Jesus. They took him out on this cliff, and they were going to throw him over the cliff so they could kill him because they didn't like his message. They didn't believe it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want others to hear it. But the Bible says in verse 30, that he passed, that Jesus passed through the crowd and just went his way. <laughs> I don't know if he became invisible, probably did. But all the people in the synagogue, they were furious. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him out to the brow of the hill. They were going to throw him over the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd, disappeared from their sight, and went on about the work that God had called him to. So why was Christ sent? What was the work of Jesus Christ? Well, much like this story that we just read from Paul Harvey that he told so often. The story of Christmas is about a manger. It is about the wise men. It is about the ministry of Jesus for sure. For sure. Those years he spent ministering among us, most people rejected. I mean, they didn't want to hear what he had to say particularly the religious community. In fact, Caiaphas sort of led the rebellion that brought about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The church, the believers, supposedly, were kind of responsible for the cross and the crucifixion. So what was the message? There were those in those days following the crucifixion. They, they were distressed and despondent. They were destroyed. They had thought that he had come to be the redeemer, to be the king, to lead them, 
to speak and to act on their behalf. Here's why Christ was born in a manger, died on a cross, and was resurrected from the dead. John 3.16 sums it up like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If everything about Christmas is lost, with all this stuff, this lockdown, and all of this stuff that's going on, I will tell you, don't miss the most important part of the story. And that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Every day on this program, today we're, it's a departure. We're not talking about what's in the news today because the good news is that our Redeemer liveth. Handel realized that. In fact, he wanted that inscribed on his tombstone. My Redeemer liveth. He wrote about it, of course. But I think that in this world there's so much distraction. There's so much going on with the coronavirus. And I mentioned earlier this week there, there's now a, a new strain that they're saying is more contagious than the old strain in, in Europe and all of this stuff. We don't know how that's all going to play out. We don't know what we're going to learn as we move into the new year. And I'll be talking more about that as we do move into this new year of 2021. There's going to be all kinds of challenges. The election, the leadership in America, all all of the stuff that we know that's going on. And we need to be informed. We I say that every day on the program and I want you to be informed. I want to be informed. I want all Christians to be informed. It's not that we have all the answers, but we do our homework and we research and we share what's going on in this world. But you know what it is. It's chaos. It's disaster. It's a turning away from the principles and the truth of God's word. It's indoctrinating children to believe something very different than their parents. But all of this stuff, But there is a message that penetrates the darkness. Sometimes it shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. But I will tell you that the darkness will never smother the light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Jesus Christ is with us. Our Redeemer lives And he lives in you and he lives in me as we have accepted Christ as our personal Savior. And he will guide us through the challenges, through the difficulties. And he will bring joy, unspeakable, full of glory into our lives and our hearts and our minds. But God is with us. Don't forget that as we celebrate. Don't let the cares of this world dim the light of his presence in your life, in your heart in your family. And on this Christmas day, may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May the goodness of God be experienced in your heart and the heart of those in your family and those whom you may be with today. And don't forget to give him praise and glory and honor because he is the King of Kings 
the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. 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 The Hallelujah Chorus. Make it your theme song. Thanks for being with me today. Have a great weekend. Merry Christmas.